Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap, that's Creole for something extra. It's art history written with TikTok flair and museum guide authority. Author Zaria Ware repositions the lens on Western art to reveal and highlight the presence of black people in paintings and tapestries from ancient Greece to the early 20th century. In her new book, Black Art, the Audacious Legacy of Black Models and Artists in Western Art, where tells the stories of the people of color on the canvases, who they were, and how they came to be there, and how it is that they are often overlooked. Black Art, the Audacious Legacy of Black Models and Artists in Western Art, is our February selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Zaria is an award-winning poet, writer, and lover of history, art history especially. Black Art is her first book. Welcome to Under the Radar. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I am delighted to have you. Uh, This book is so fun and informative. So I have to start off letting people know that you're just going to really enjoy it and learn something despite yourself. (laughs) You You can't help but doing it. Let me start this way. What sparked your interest in writing this book? Well, as a young person, I I talk about in the book how I just loved and adored history and art. And I would watch Sense and Sensibility, uh, the Kate Winslet, Emma Thompson adaptation a million times with my mom. I would even be able to quote all of the the lines in the movie. And so I really just adored it. And I realized slowly um, growing up that I wasn't seeing any positive representation of people that look like me in the history books that I loved. And I noticed that um, I only ever really saw myself represented historically when it came when it comes to you know the transatlantic slave trade and uh, civil rights movement and of course there's nothing wrong with those two moments in time of course they're very important to our history and to black history but I really wanted something more and uh, so art history was a particular interest of yours why well, I, I always loved art and I always loved actually myself to draw and to paint. And so, you know, something was just magical about going into museums and seeing paintings and portraits and just imagining what that moment in time was like for the model, what that moment in time was like for the artist. And really just sometimes looking at art and saying, oh my goodness, it's so pretty. And so I just love that that about art. Um, And I wanted to, you know, see myself in that way. But of course, I never really knew that this existed or that Black art existed in this way where there were Black models being portrayed positively in the 18th century or in the 17th century, just as much as we are all accustomed to seeing when we go into, you know, our local museums. Well, you know, what's interesting is that, um, I now, you know, I started reading your book and I recall, of course, I've gone to many museums and I would see, you know, the random black person in a canvas, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, during this time period. And I think, who is that? And how, why are they there? <laughs> but it was never explained. It, you know, if you saw the description 
on the on the wall. It was, you know, by the artists and, you know, what the scene was. But there was never any attention paid to those black people who popped up. So I think um, me, just like so many other people going to museums and seeing them, it's not that we overlooked. We saw them, but we didn't see them. They were hidden in plain sight. They really were. They were kind of like the elephant or the historical elephant in the room because no one really wants to talk about or even um, acknowledge that Black people have been around since forever, really. Um, And I even mentioned in the book that, you know, mostly because of entertainment or media representation, a lot of people think that Black history or Black people really didn't exist until slavery started or the transatlantic slave trade started. And so when we see Black people in paintings in the 1800s, it's kind of strange for us because we say, well, why would they be there? Why why are they in that position when we that kind of completely negates what we've been taught in schools? And it's interesting because... Um... Since we were asking the question why they are there, we, of course, can't imagine the lives they they were living at the time, which you take a lot of time with in your book to explain. So not only do you give us the history of the various pieces um, in which we see Black folks um, portrayed, but you you also step back and give us the sense of the environment. because as you as you say, there were whole lives lived. Bef- now, when the transatlantic slave trade started, many things were disrupted. But prior to that, there were whole lives lived in a different way. Completely and definitely. And it, it's funny because, you know, the way that history is portrayed, it's sort of we portrayed black and white. We never talk about, you know, that there was diversity since the beginning of time and that people um, shared cultures, even in the medieval age, even when we say, you know, that people were sort of positioned away from each other and sort of cornered off, you know, especially with Europe. But in reality, you know, from stories, from um, from um, tales and music, people were aware of people of other races and even, you know, had friends of other races. And so the world was much more open. Of course, it wasn't the diversity that we know today, especially with airplanes and the way that we travel. But there was diversity, especially in large cities in the past. And that I just found uh, really fascinating to to learn about all of these uh, all of these people who were living their lives again, as I say, hidden in plain sight on these canvases. Now, your title says "Black Models and Artists." We'll get to the artists in a in a second because it's really a two parts to this book, and the first part. Um, speaks to the Black models. And when you say models, what do you mean? Well, I mean two different things. First, I mean Black people who were subjects of, of art, though they were not directly posing for the art. Perhaps they were just as subjects of the artist. They wanted to portray someone of another race from their imagination. And then secondly, artists who wanted to paint Black people who posed for these paintings. So they were real people who really sat in front of artists such as Edward Manet um, in the the 19th century. And so Black models, this whole entire section is really exciting because there are seven different distinct parts and distinct moments in time. And so really, we're going on a journey together, first starting in medieval times and going to even Amsterdam, um, going to 19th century France and and showing the lives or the backgrounds of some of the paintings that we know of, um, going through all of those histories and kind of just showing how exciting it was um, and, and even just delving into paintings that you might have walked by in the, in the museum, but never really knew, you know, about or, or just like we had talked about previously. 
Now, in some of these cases, but not all, the the black people were commissioned to or were paid to be models, but but not all the time. Not all of the time. Um, when mm-hmm. we when we talk about the first section, medieval times, they a, a lot of them might have been paid for, but of course we we don't know all of the backgrounds of of some of the the models. But we do know, especially in the 19th century, um, in Paris and, and in France, and and then also in the Netherlands and Amsterdam, that that was a a, a great job to have. That a lot of black models did that to make a living and to be able to support their families. So the subject matter um, could, to the ear, sound, you know, a little heavy and um, uh, certainly very art history-like, <laughs> people know that. <laughs> but the way you have uh, talked about it and the way that you bring us in, in into the conversation um, is really accessible and fun. I just want to share with my listeners some of the titles of your chapters. I love this title. Holier mm-hmm. than like thou est. Um, it's all <laughs> Greek to me. Scandal, murder, intrigue. Um, where art thou, Waldo? Um, I love this one. Don't touch my hair. And then seriously, don't touch it. (laughs) So these are some really great uh, titles that lead us into various aspects of the the paintings and the people in the paintings that you're discussing. So I thought I would have you read about one that I know probably many people have thought about. When we talk about uh, the gifts of the Magi, we know that the, the black man Oh, it's one of three uh, folks, if you are following the Christian um, Christmas story, who arrived um, to give gifts to the baby Jesus and Mary. Um, she just had him. And they remember there's no room at the end. Um, and for years, as, as a young black woman, you know, I was always taken with the fact that, you know, there's one black <laughs> one black saint in the group. And that was always interesting to me. But you've gone back and, and noticed that uh, the Magi, as uh, as an entity was really uh, painted quite a bit. So I'd love you to read from your chapter, Holier Than Like Thou Est, um, and give us a little sense of how this Magi figure really popped up more than we think. The Adoration of the Magi, an art theme as popular among medieval and Renaissance artists as drawing happy faces is today, depicted the biblical account of the three wise men traveling far and wide to honor the baby Jesus with gifts and produce countless of the most detailed, largely unbiased, and far-reaching paintings of Black men in Western art history. The three men, left unnamed in the Bible, were first given names around the 8th century, Bithysaria, Melchior, and Gadaspa, and later came to be known as Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar. The men were also commonly transformed from magi, mystics, into marvelously dressed kings who came from distant lands. By the 11th century, it became tradition to view the three magi as symbolizing all lands of the known world, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Religion by far was considered a more divisive distinction than race, and the Catholic Church welcomed the diversity, even if for disingenuous reasons. In effect, the appearance of crowds coming from all over the world to see the baby Jesus doubled as a promotional advertisement for the church's reach. I just think um, it's just very interesting, all the little tidbits that you have. Um, and when I say tidbits, I mean juicy stuff like gossip and <laughs> and, uh, and scandal. That's how I wanted it to feel, kind of like a gossip, like you're talking to your friend about this history. <laughs> Definitely. Were you a little apprehensive about 
taking the tone, you know, some it's, as we've seen, you know, art history books are usually very serious. Very. <laughs> and you've gone a different way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a little on the rocks at first. I, I wasn't sure how it would be taken because I'd seen that there had been a few books that were kind of trying to take academic works or academic uh, topics and making them fun. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try that. Even though this is a very heavy topic, I think this is this makes it so much more fun and accessible. I didn't want anyone, you know, because a lot of times art history kind of gets a bad rap. You know, they say, well, art history is boring or even history in general is boring. And so it's kind of I, I wanted to compile all the textbooks and all the books that I used to research and then put them together and say, how could I make this, you know, exciting? How could I make this sound, you know, fun and then just make it you know, so that everyone is interested, anyone, even if you're, you don't consider yourself an art lover or a history lover, maybe even changing a few people's minds, seeing how exciting it really can be when you kind of put yourself in the place of these, the, of these characters and really start to imagine. And then, you know, just seeing the joy that you can have in that. Hmm. Um, so while we are seeing uh, in much of the work that you are exposing in your book, um, black folks in scenarios with other people, you know, usually other white people, sometimes in a servant role, but sometimes just there. And again, you're explaining why they're there. There's also uh, another uh, a part of of this work that really intrigued me, which are all the portraits. So you have folks of color getting their portraits done or or just having an artist painting the portrait of a lot of people who were lived well, were wealthy, and could afford. You know, this was, this was not something that everybody could afford to have their portrait done. And there they are, all bold and looking right out from the canvas. And a lot of this work I had just never seen. Uh, tell us about that. It really is amazing when you think about it, all of these uh, beautiful works that no one has seen. And that was what was so important to me. It's like, everyone needs to see this. Everyone needs to know about these, these artworks. And so it's just so amazing that during a time period that most people would say, you know, Black people were disenfranchised, we were victims. We're seeing quite the opposite in many of these cases. Black people who were from parts of royal families to being composers, to also just being noble court members, seeing how they were able to keep their humanity, how despite, you know, the growing resistance towards that, as you see the beginnings of the slave trade, still being able to portray their humanity and then wearing their beautiful garb and looking very nice and looking very pretty and, and fancy. And so it's just so exciting because when you see these artworks, it completely kind of negates and turns history on its head because for so long, all of these artworks were were not just lost or forgotten, they were erased or omitted from the historical record or the mainstream historical record. Because if to see this, it would completely change even just racial relations today. Because right now the assumption is that black history is only one or two things. And so it, it keeps the, the idea of black history as being something sort of negative, sort of degrading, when in reality, it could be all of this. It could be so much more. But we, mm. you know, it's not allowed. Mm, it hasn't been allowed true. until now, really. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that in 2020, our um, art person here at the station, Jared Bowen, he's our executive arts editor, actually, did a piece uh, about uh, in the Boston's Museum of Fine Arts by John Singer Sargent and uncovered that Thomas McKellar was a young black model upon which he, Singer Sargent, really 
drew him over and over again in all of his, in, in many of his paintings. And that was a big shock here and a big revelation when they found some of the early drawings. So your, uh, your model concept is really one that that's the first time I'd ever heard it. And here you are with half a book talking about how many different uh, models there were in the similar circumstances. That was such an amazing revelation. I, I also agree. That was amazing with John Singer Sargent. But also, you know, in this book, I want to stress for readers or potential readers that this isn't even the half of it. It was so hard to cut down because there are just so many beautiful works out there that are waiting to be, you know, celebrated that I had to kind of choose from. There's a pool of these. And so that was what was even more mind blowing for me, that it wasn't just about compiling, but it's about I have too many of these. How many can I show in one book or in a smaller book, you know, to make sure that it was concise so that, you know, everyone could carry it around if they wanted to, that it wouldn't be like some you know, art books that are so hard to carry, you know, they're, they're like weights. Yes. You could, you could exercise Tomes. with them. So yeah. trying to make sure that they're not like that. Exactly. Um, so really, this is just the beginning there. And I, and I wanted to inspire, you know, readers to, to look up in some of these stories. Um, and, and there's just, there's just so many, it's really a treasure trove that hasn't been tapped into. Well, I'm going to ask you to talk about one more before we switch over to the artist part of the book, um, because you you spent a lot of time in Amsterdam uh, talking about the 17th century, the tight-knit Black community there in the Netherlands. And, of course, this is the place where Vermeer did The Girl with the Pearl Earring, which people, you know, travel from all around the world to go see. There was a whole movie made about it, everything. But um, listen, there is a piece that's been uncovered by a young Black girl, 12 years old, called Isabella around that time. Please tell us about Isabella. Well, Isabella is one of my favorite paintings. It's by Simone Maris. Um, and it was painted around 1906. And it's a painting of a little girl who's 12 years old um, in his studio. But she went unnamed for, for a very long time. But in Right until recently, in recent times, in 2020, the Rijksmuseum um, made an announcement saying that they had discovered her identity and that her name was Isabella and that they were going to do more research into trying to find out what her family name is and where she might have lived, what she might have done later on, who her family um, was and how they had come to Amsterdam or the Netherlands, if it was for business, if they had always lived there. So it's still a bit of a mystery, but it's so exciting to see that at least um, many of the artists who painted Black models, a lot of times they didn't leave notes behind about who they were. So it's very exciting to see that Simone was willing to, you know, or Simon was willing to write her name down. And there's even, if you look her uh, this painting up, Isabella, you'll see a black and white photo reference of what she looked like uh, in real life. And it's very nice. And it's just a beautiful painting because it's just so rare to see not just a, a black woman, it's very rare to see a black woman. They're, they're kind of outnumbered by the amount of black men in, in portraiture throughout time. So it's that's one rare part. And then of course, seeing a, a little girl is even more rare. And then in such a, a an elegant way, having a bonnet, having a fan, having a beautiful dress and a gilded sort of chair. So it's very beautiful and it's very reminiscent of all the paintings that we're used to seeing of little you know European girls, but this time, it's a black girl, which makes it amazing. So you go on to then uh, profile seven artists across the board for most of them. They couldn't get into art school. 
They didn't have much money. They struggled to piece it together and either get themselves to Europe, which is where you were supposed to go to sort of hone your craft. Um, and many of them were able to do that. I think one was not. Um, but despite all of that, they were celebrities <laughs> with their work they for were. the most part. That's amazing. <laughs> that is the most amazing part. <laughs> Tell us about just to you know uh, were you were you amazed to see how far their reach was in terms of you know respect and admiration, particularly internationally? Oh, I definitely was, and and studying Robert Edward Henry and Edmonia, it really was just a revelation or like a layered onion. It's like every time I found a new a new uh, a fact about them, it was like oh my goodness, the 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 painting was becoming ever clearer, and it was just the most. I guess I incredible, or I know I, I've said amazing a million times, but when you read about Robert Selden Duncanson, how he at first was a house painter, his father was a painter of houses, and he decided I'm going to be an artist and became a landscape artist who towards the end of his life was selling artworks for about $15,000, which would have been 300,000 today. Then, you know, we look at um, we look at Edward Mitchell Bannister, who was the first Black artist to win a National Art Award. Then we go to Edmonia, who, Edmonia Lewis, who she decided when she was a teenager, late teen, she said, you know what, I'm going to start sculpting marble. I'm going to be a sculptor and just up and moves to Italy, learns Italian and becomes this sensation who's selling her marble sculptures to tourists in Rome and lives in Rome for the most of the majority of her life. And then lastly, you know, looking at Henry Oswa Tanner, how he became this sort of mentor to all of the artists who came after him during the Harlem Renaissance, how he has an artwork in the Louvre and how he actually was given a legion of honor by the French government. I mean, all of them, it, it's so amazing that not only were they, you know, artists and sculptors during a time when black people were not allowed really, or thought to be able or even capable of this level of, or high level of work, but the fact that they were celebrities, like you said, and the fact that they were able to enjoy some of their celebrity before they passed, which is sort of a novelty, like even for just a European artist, sometimes, you know, it took, of course, you having to pass away before people recognized your talent or your greatness. But um, a part of it, I think, also was that it was just so amazing to the masses who were just shocked, um, all of the European masses, and, and of course, in America, that Black people were capable of art. It was just unimaginable for them. Um, I would point out that a lot of their works now are, you know, pretty much in value. They're so expensive. Mm -hmm. um, the Savannah uh, School of Art and Design, often known as SCAD, um, uh, has some Edmonia Lewis's. It's the first time I ever saw them in person. I only had seen them um, on the page. And um, the curator was telling me as I was looking at just one of them, and they're little, she said, this one piece um, is could buy this whole block. Wow. <laughs> just the one piece. Yes. <laughs> she said, that's how valuable it is. So, um, yeah, their legacy goes on, but, you know, a lot of people don't know them, as we've said. Now, you were deliberate in making two parts to this, and it looks like, and you tell me, the first part is the gaze of white artists, how they see Black people, how they live, how they portray them. And the second part is really Black artists representing how they see um, their community of folks. Definitely. It, it, it's kind of a journey, sort of showing the, the, the change or the flux in time of how 
firstly, you know, they're the subject only of other, the other or, or, and someone else's gaze. And then finally taking the paintbrush into their own hands, having this solid group of four who really just changed history um, and were able to just create works at such a high level. Um, but also, you know, making art on their own terms, not creating art that others might have expected them to create. So we look at Edward and we look at Robert, who were landscape artists, partly because, of course, be a little bit of fear. Of course, if you wanted to create something that was more about race, then you you fear that you might alienate, alienate your potential buyers. But also looking at Edmonia, who she wasn't afraid of that. She created a lot of sculptures, of course, of, of Native American subjects because, of course, her mother's heritage and herself being half Native American or half Ojibwa, um, and also creating works that were about slavery um, with Forever Free, and then also about just women's rights and gender rights with the death of Cleopatra. And so showing just that they were bold, that they wanted they wanted the, the world, and they were not afraid to go out there and get it. All right. What do you want people to take away from Black art, the audacious legacy of Black models and artists in Western art? I want everyone to take away the fact that history, Black history especially, can be fun and exciting and interesting. And it's not only comprised of just one part or moment in time, that there are over 6,000 years worth of human civilization to study. And that you know, 400 or 500 years of, 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 you know, of course, pain and victimhood and genocide does not have to define everything, that there can also be joy and light in our histories, and that uh, these models and also these artists that have been erased and omitted and not spoken about need to be talked about and need to be uh, discovered and even just highlighted in entertainment forms. I think that'll be the most important thing, having more uh, movies and books and historical fiction books, ones that are just fun for entertainment, written about some of these people and these these uh, these um, notable figures in time, will really make a huge difference in how even just Black people are seen. Because, you know, of course, Black history and Black people, there are so many stereotypes. But um, with this book, I hope that those assumptions can somewhat, you know, be taken away or or changed a little bit. Or And that's really all it is kind of a step in the rung on the ladder, just another inspiration to continue this, this movement forward. Well, thank you so much. It's thank a beautiful you. book and it's so well-written and so much fun to read and enjoy. And, uh, and um, I can take it to the museum with me and, and now be able to look up and then look back to your book to get some information. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Zaria Ware is an award-winning poet and author of Black Art, The Audacious Legacy of Black Models and Artists in Western Art. It's available in bookstores and online now. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Ginny Firm. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.